Thanks for listening to this episode of Within and Between. For information about this and all our episodes, you can visit our website, withinandbetweenpod.com. Connect with us on Twitter at within underscore between, where you can send us questions about developmental science and developmental sciencing. See you next time. Hi, and welcome back to another episode. This is Jessica Logan. And this is Sarah Hart. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about labs. We um, we had a request, actually, mm-hmm. which is our, our new favorite thing to get. It is. Thank you, everyone, for your requests. Yeah, we love it. Uh, this is from Jenny Root, who asked us about lab management and lab structure. Um, how do you do meetings? What's your lab structure like? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, and I'm going to start off by asking you, Sarah... Do you remember the first time you heard the word lab used in reference to like the kind of work that we do? Oh, so not like, like not lab the dog or the dog. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I didn't mean the dog. I meant more specifically lab coats and goggles and the uh, eye wash station. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. You know, I don't know. If when I was an undergrad, we referred to it as a lab. I don't know if it's a newer thing or not. Oh. But there weren't really labs that I was part of in undergrad. I was a lab coordinator. Yeah, so I guess I was a lab coordinator between undergrad and grad school. I think my title was lab coordinator. So that might have been one of the first times that I had heard it referred that way. Oh, okay. So for me, it was like a, a major... Uh, what's that? What's the point? Hmm. It was a schema violating word for me. You know, the ones where it's like you either have to assimilate or you have to accommodate. Uh. That's that's where I was when the first it was I had worked for a professor as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. I helped him run an experiment, helped design an experiment. And I was like, had a really great time with it and ran students through this experiment, but I had never thought of it as a lab. And then he was trying to convince me to go to graduate school and said to me, we just need to find somebody who needs a person to work in their lab and you can go and work in the lab and then apply to grad school from there. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. And I just like walked away and I was <laughs> like, what the, what, who needs, like, why do you need lab? Co- what? Why would you like wear a lab coat? What does it mean to work in a lab? I like legitimately didn't understand. And I had been doing it. I just didn't have the schema to fit it into Mm -hmm. in order to understand what it meant. So it was like a major, major source of confusion for me for a while. I, this entire time you've been speaking, I've been trying to come up with a good assimilation accommodation joke. Um, (laughs) I could tell you were distracted. I'm not going to lie. I was. <laughs> Turns out my sense of humor is not good enough to come up with that joke that quickly. <laughs> and then I also was trying to think of when I used to teach child psych and teach that concept. And I was like, which one is which again? I'm like you assimilate it into the information you already know, but you could accommodate it into the info. And then I got I got spun out. So <laughs> which one's which? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Terrible developmental <laughs> scientist. Terrible. <laughs> well, you know, it's been a while since you taught intro. Me too. I haven't taught child child development or uh, that area since 2006 or something, 2007. Oh, wow. So it's been a long time for me. Yeah. Now that I live in stats land. <laughs> so, yeah, you had a real moment for it. I did not. I don't have any memory of it. So it must not have been a real moment. Huh. Interesting. So then I guess it's once I maybe it stems from that for me. Like I don't have a real co- like I I don't I'm trying to think of what the definition of lab is. So what does it mean mm. to have a lab? Mm-hmm. And who maybe we'll start off by saying like you you have a lab. Who do you consider to be members of your lab? When does someone like cross the line into you are now in my lab? 
Yeah, I feel like I have a pretty firm definition of that, uh, although it's difficult to say, but in my head it's firm. I guess it's anybody I think of as a mentee, which is not helpful, but um, so like any undergraduates that work in my lab that like sign up for credits or are paid to work in my lab, Mm -hmm. the physical space or the projects that I have, I would think of as part of my lab. I think of my staff, so like my lab coordinator, as part of my lab, I think of currently I have um, a graduate research assistant who is not my own graduate student, but has worked in my lab for years and is now doing her master's at FSU. And, and she uh, gets paid to work on a project as a graduate research assistant. I would count her as part of my lab. I would count work study students as part of my lab that work for me. I count graduate students, like PhD students, who like applied to graduate school to work with me and came in to come do their PhD with me as part of my lab and my postdocs. Even my shared postdocs, I count as my lab too. So I have a postdoc that I share um, that she has two advisors and I think of you know her and all the rest of my postdocs as my lab. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So, so do you you still call them members of your lab right now? Because I think my first question here I'm going to uh, venture into is that you talked a little bit about physical space. So I'm wondering how has that definition changed now that you are not in physical space anymore? Now that everything's online, does mm-hmm. it does your definition change or does your definition not change and it's just like one day we'll be back in the lab? Yep. And not I one day we'll be back in the lab. It hasn't changed. Uh-huh. Uh, and really, the lab setting is only important for the undergraduates and my lab coordinator. Hmm. Nobody else works in my lab. So my postdocs and graduate students have space outside of my lab. Interesting. My actual okay, so like, then, physical lab space. With so are you do you have lab meetings, lab wide meetings that you do like once every established interval of some sort? And what is that? Yes, I do. Um, I have, uh, it's changed. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm asking all the hard questions. I know, I'm like, like that's an awkward long silence because I was like, what should I call them? I used to, until COVID, I think, I had a pretty reliable, what I would call the lab meeting. And I still call it the lab meeting. And what that uh-huh. means is, um, getting the undergrads that work in my project in the graduate students and the postdocs in my lab coordinator all together in a room. Uh-huh. That meeting sometimes has project updates uh, for projects that we have to, you know, like update on or if the undergrads want to talk about anything on the projects that they're working for. And uh, also serves a function of, you know, the undergrads mostly in my lab are signed up for research credits. And so we read a research paper and one of them usually takes turns to present it. So we talk about it as well. So the lab meeting, I think of, although there are project updates, it's not really a project meeting. I otherwise have project meetings with like the senior staff and PIs, but really um, it is supposed to be an educational opportunity for the undergrads in the lab. Uh, And uh, so that's the, that is the lab meeting. Uh, It is nowadays we've, it's every other week. um, And it's it's often a 45 minute meeting. Uh, So we do it every other week for about 45 minutes. And so it really has morphed more into, yeah, reading the papers and, and them presenting and talking about science and talking about then how that might apply to things that they're doing in the lab or interesting things that they want to bring to the table about what their their work in the lab. If they've entered data that looks cool, you know, sometimes parents write interesting things or they see weird things when they're entering their data that they want to flag to our attention. It's a space for them to talk about that. So with that in mind, I think it's important for my graduate students and postdocs to come because I think it's important for them to see kind of all levels of mentorship and participate in all levels of mentorship. Mm -hmm. And often I use that lab meeting as a a way for graduate students to practice mentorship. And so they often lead the meeting or like take on a semester and they're in charge of the lab meeting for that semester. Cool. Um, But 
Uh, now, occasionally, my graduate students, our postdocs, have their own research students that are working for them on a side project that they have. And so if they then have their own lab meeting with their own research students, then they don't have to come to mine. Uh, I just want them to at least have that opportunity at least once a week, once or every other week, um, that they are participating in that type of mentorship um, with the undergrads. And then oh, we're interested. Yeah. So that's what I call my lab meeting these days. So are they expected, like the readings and things like that, are those assigned, assigned, I guess, by the person whoever is deemed to be in charge of the lab meeting for that semester? Not assigned, but typically the undergrads are usually asked to pick the reading that they're interested in. We just ask them to keep uh-huh. it to a topic that's somewhat related to the lab. Um, and the person who's assigned helps organize that and sometimes is a point of reference for a student if they have a question about their paper or some, or they, they sign off on the paper before the student presents it. Okay, that's cool. Oh, that's so fun. So then maybe it's not so weird I don't have a lab because I don't. I don't see myself as having a lab. I don't have any undergraduates that work with me at all, ever. So I, maybe that's not so weird. Yeah, you will You will have lab. Now, some people call lab meetings what I term my writer's group meeting. So Oh, we're I, in terminology land. Yeah. Interesting. So then I have a meeting with the writers of my lab. So that could be anybody who's working that would work on scientific manuscripts from the lab. So it's usually postdocs and graduate students, but I could foresee that it also would include, uh, you know, if an undergrad honor student, I don't have many of those, but if there's somebody involved in the lab that's like really on the PhD route and is working on papers as an undergrad, they would potentially come to that meeting as well. But Mm. currently it's um, graduate students and postdocs. uh, And we have another meeting where we meet as a group and we talk about, um, the projects of the lab, the written projects, but then also if they're doing any independent data collection, we talk about that as well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So those are sort of different, but it's still within the context of a lab. It's still people within my lab. Yeah, it's just a little bit more kind of higher level science discussions than we have mm-hmm. in the what I call the lab meeting, which includes the undergrads and my lab coordinator. Yeah, that's really interesting. And all of that is part of your lab in and of itself. And nobody wears lab coats. No, but many no goggles. Many <laughs> of the labs in my psychology department do have their students wear lab coats. Not what? graduate students, oh. but the undergrads running like the social psychologists and the clinical psychologists. This is fairly common. They have the what? undergrads wear that are like running their participant pool research studies. Um, they have them wear white lab coats and shut the front door. I know. I was like, this is weird. And not like we have animal neuro and that makes sense. Yeah. I was like the ones doing mouse brain surgery. Those people are doing lab coats, right? Behavioral, just running through behavioral paradigms. What? Uh, And I guess the reason why they do this is it's thought to give some like authority to the, what's about to happen and to make it kind of seem more like it's real, not just. But that's a testable hypothesis. Oh, I, I, someone, someone's done that study. Somebody surely. has to have done that study. Doing the social psych experiment with and without lab coats. I yeah. think I may have even read that somewhere. There has to be something out there. If read uh, listeners, if you, if you know what it is, link to us on Twitter so we know. Yeah, please tell us because I would love to read that. <gasps> That's so interesting. But yes, for data entry in my lab, no, they don't need to wear your white <laughs> lab coats. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should give them all hard hats, like we <laughs> talked about in that other episode. I Just do give yourself them up open access to a coffee maker, and I supply the coffee. There's a Keurig, as bad as that is for the environment, it's easiest in this you know context. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, coffee oh. doesn't get stale that way. Yep, they That's are helpful. freely allowed to have coffee, and I usually always have some sort of sweet snack in my lab, the lab Aww. space. Because they are doing a lot of data entry and phone calling for me, so you gotta make it keep them make happy. it a happy place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, how does this align with the kinds of labs that you worked in as an undergraduate or graduate student, or when you were a lab coordinator? Does this align with those experiences, or did you switch it up deliberately as you moved through? Um, it doesn't align to any of the experiences, and I've actually switched it up even as be- being a faculty member. Um, mm. 
So as a lab coordinator, there was a meeting, I can't remember if it was weekly or every other week, which was me, I think any of the engaged undergrads and grad students, but the PI of the lab ran it. It wasn't like me to run it. And it was mostly Mm -hmm. um, reading papers or talking about the science. I think he was doing it kind of the same way I was to educate everybody there in the room about the type of science that was happening in his lab. Mm-hmm. Um, through my PhD, um, the lab was always fairly small, uh, a few data enterers that I oversaw, uh, and they were not research students. We were at a university that we had to pay everybody that worked in the lab. And so we didn't pay them to come to a meeting to sit around and have some sort of educational content. They just came and did their hours and left. Right. So it was more like a project meeting that we would have the staff that all and the graduate students that worked on the project. There was one major project happening in the lab. You know, don't forget. So I grew up in a tradition and I still have the tradition in my lab where there's typically kind of one, maybe two big projects, grant funded projects that are happening. Right. So we where I'm not like a typical even cognitive psychology lab or a social psychology lab that's running all kinds of projects and each graduate student's got multiple projects happening and, and there's all these different, you know, you know, running a sample for a specific research question and then moving on and running a new sample. You know, mm, we mm-hmm. I spent five years collecting one major data set that everybody is working towards or writing And people on. come in and off uh, in and off, in and out, and yes. on and off of those projects all the time. All the time. The undergrads, yeah, that's interesting. The undergrad research students do. We try to have them stay for an academic year. Um, mm-hmm. Often uh, they stay for a little bit longer because we do actually kind of have fun and we have, a, I think, a, a warm, inviting, you know, um, welcoming environment. And the type of work that they do, especially right now, which is a lot of um, cold calling, uh, uh-huh. is not the most exciting work. And it's actually hard to recruit undergrads that are interested in it. Um, and so once we get them and then we get them trained to do it properly, uh, then um, they, uh, we, we like to, to make sure that they're happy and they stay around. So most of them have stayed actually for a little bit longer than a year. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Keep everybody connected and around each other. Yeah. So I guess that being said, small. I've always come from small labs. I was, for the most part, other than my first year of graduate school into my second year, I was the only graduate student in my lab even. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is Um, small. There was occasionally a postdoc like you towards the end, and there was one (laughs) other that that was around for a bit. So it was small. Um, For my postdoc, also, there wasn't really – we met for Friday afternoon, but that was more uh, social time um, when I was a postdoc. Uh, mm-hmm. and not really for a meeting time. So there was no like lab-esque meeting at all. So I had yeah. to kind of set up what I wanted to do when I started my lab, especially since it was the first time I'd been in an environment where we had these research students um, that were signed up for research credits. And I felt pretty compelled that they have some sort of educational experience uh, while working yeah. in the lab. So That's really cool. I like that a lot. So yeah, I've, I've, I've messed around with it quite a bit. I actually, one of my main goals of my sabbatical a few years ago was to um, ask every single person I met how they set up their lab and how they had meetings. Uh, (laughs) So it was like, that was, I had, uh, you know, a new content area I want to learn and I want, and I also wanted to think and learn and, and change the organization of my lab. So I spent a lot of time thinking about how I was going to organize my lab after my sabbatical. Um, so what I'm at now is a hybrid of what I think works and talking, especially with my grad students and postdocs and what they think works and going around the world pretty much and asking people how they set up their lab. It was always a question. So I'd be, you know, I had a chance to spend a month in Cambridge and I had a month in Australia and, you know, it was, I was there for research reasons, but then every single person I met with, you know, you had these meetings and you set them up just to have coffee and talk to the different faculty, different like people at the places. Mm -hmm. And I always included on my list, like, how do you run your lab? And I will say uh, that, uh, not one person said that they were happy with how they had their lab, how it was organized, and nobody knew the right way to do it. So if you're listening and you're like, gosh, I wish I could organize my lab better or think nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just I, – I have talked to several people as well trying to figure out how do I, how do I make this work. And I've even talked to people who I thought had really successful, uh, well-organized, happy organization of people working with them in their lab. And even those people have said, I have no idea. 
I don't know if this is working. I feel like we could be doing a whole lot better, but I don't know how to do it. Um, I find it so fascinating. That's I know. Really, there, wow. Maybe like there has to be like an IO psych. Somebody has to have done research on the best structure for academic labs. But in preparation for this meeting, uh, I actually did some Googling around to try and figure out what what we, you know, Google scholaring around. I didn't find anything uh, anything recent. I found a couple of like around the year 2000 books about huh. this, but I didn't find anything more recent. But that could just be my limited Google Scholar search skills. So <laughs> there probably <laughs> is some things that exist out there. Um, but I also think it's so individual mm-hmm. that different things work for different people. And the context matters. Too. Like I, my lab is how I run it is different. And what my lab looks like is different right now. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. different in part because, you know, I've, I, I'm more senior now. I do have more postdocs and more graduate students, you know. Um, but also it's different because at this moment I have, you know, two major grant funded research projects. Mm-hmm. And so that changes versus the previous times in my lab when I've only had one major research, grant funded research project. Uh, and so all of those things kind of change up what you need at a given time. Yeah. Uh, and right now with these two research projects that I have, the actual, the, the, the staff and I, by met staff, I mean like the people who work on the projects and the colleagues and the, even the students that work on the project are actually barely overlapping. And so wow. um, I'm really kind of the only person that goes across both of them. Nobody else mm-hmm. does. So that makes it feel pretty different because the one of my research projects actually never comes up in what I call my lab meeting because that research project actually doesn't require any undergrads in it. There are no undergrads yeah. that work on that project. And so that stays and that's just investigators like my other co-PI and invest and graduate students that work on that project and like the has no physical space at all. But the 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 research part, my, the twin research project that I have right now, you know, requires physical space. It needs students in that space on phones, on computers, you know, and undergrad students doing the work. And so that looks like a more traditional project versus the other project, the data repository project, is this virtual project that kind of just occurs with you know some mental power for some people. <laughs> so yeah. It, you know, so then my lab and how the structure of it is totally different right now than it even was a few years ago. And I think this is interesting because so when I when I started this job, I actually bought a couple of books about lab management, trying mm. to figure out you know how to do this and how does this work. And a lot of them talk about that first kind, what you called a more traditional, quote unquote, lab space, because I think it it really is the more traditional thing you think of. You think about I thought about people in lab coats, but even without the lab coats, it's basically the same thing. You have a bunch of students coming in and out. You have people sort of working on different projects. And I think, you know, with uh, the kinds of work that we do, you know, when you study children's development, I tell people this all the time. The thing about children's development is if you want to see what happens to someone in five years, you have to wait five years. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) (laughs) it takes a while. (laughs) And most PhD students are are gone. You don't have them for that whole five-year chunk of time. That's really rare that you get someone who comes in right when the project starts and stays through the end of the project. So there's a lot of turnover in trying to answer particular questions. Um, And sometimes we don't have undergrads doing things. Sometimes we do, Mm -hmm. but not not always. But I, I wonder if that's different in this sort of developmental environment compared to others because of the time scale maybe maybe i'm even thinking that go back i keep thinking about the just i'm up in my head about some of this stuff today Mm, uh great you know that you know i talked about how the twin project looks like more the traditional uh lab structure project and the data repository project i even called the the what i call for the twin project the lab meeting i call the other meeting the team meeting and we call it the psych team meeting because I actually, other than one of my graduate students who's on that project, none of the people on that project I count in, are in my lab. So it's not a, it's not a lab meeting. So you don't consider them to be in your lab. They're not in my lab. No, just the one graduate student who work, who is my mentee. But there is another graduate student who's not my mentee, and I don't think of her as in my lab, even though 
like the grant that I'm the PI of pays, you know, her research assistant on this project. And I work with her quite closely, but I don't think of her as in my lab. So, okay. Now what you just described there, that is all of my work. Yeah. So because of I'm, I'm funded on like five different federal grants right now, and my time is split across them. And I have students and I have project teams that I work with across all five of those different projects. Mm hmm. I don't, I, you know, the students who I directly supervise, I would consider to be part of my lab if I had one, but I only just now have two. So it didn't really make sense to have, I don't know, a quote unquote lab meeting before now. Mm -hmm. And I still don't yet, but I like this idea of a writing meeting that you mentioned. I like that a lot. Like anybody who is writing on something could work together. I did do something like that with another person for a while mm. oh, now i will tough. a small mm. a small clarification i call it the writers group meeting but they are still the writers who are in my lab mm, okay so they're not like mentees from other who are not my direct i'm not their direct you know mentor that's not them who i'm writing with but that's not them okay so then let's this is this is all fascinating and i think some psycholinguists would have a really fun time with our definition <laughs> of my use. lab versus yeah. the project meetings. <laughs> I think that that's probably indicative of something about how we're <laughs> how oh. we spend our time. <laughs> because so if I I think I'm about to figure out a lot about why our weeks are very different from one another. Um because each of those projects that I'm on mm -hmm. has at least a 1-hour project meeting every week. Mm -hmm. And some of them have more than one, some of them have 2-hour project meetings. And so my day, my week gets chunked up into meetings very quickly. Mm -hmm. So I have all, all of these standing, standing meetings. meetings that exist for each of the projects. So to, to get sort of into the uh, managing collaborations piece, because that's how I see this tying in, is like meetings and collaborations are, are sort of one thing for me. Mm -hmm. And so with those standing meetings, that's how I keep track of collaborations which is maybe not efficient, but I, my extroverted brain, I, I need to know I'm going to look at a person's face and have to say something to them in order to know what I need to get done <laughs> before the next meeting. So do you have, it sounds like you have two major projects. One of them is your sort of lab mm -hmm. gets subsumed under and the other one has its own standing meetings. And then anything yes. else that's projects that have standing meetings for you? No, just those two. <gasps> Now, we have less of a culture in my department for co-investigators or co-PIs, whatever you are, depending on the agency, to attend meetings, project meetings. So like oh. my twin project, the lab meeting, like my co-investigators don't come to that meeting. Really? Mm-hmm. Now, occasionally that we had what the start of the project we needed to get together a little bit and uh, we're going to ramp up for a questionnaire data collection hopefully next summer that got put off because of COVID. And, but before COVID happened, we had started to do uh, every other week meetings to get um, just the three of us. There's three investigators on that grant to get together to say like, what are we going to put in the questionnaire? Let's be thoughtful about what's going to happen this summer mm -hmm. and plan it. Mm -hmm. But those were kind of unique one-off meetings that got put on the schedule to and prep for that data collection. But no, they don't come to my regular meetings. So I wouldn't have your you, you into any of those meetings. Like your you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. So and I'm not even like the meetings, two of them are at other institutions. That I'm I'm a I'm a co-investigator on for other institutions, and so I still go to all the meetings because the thing is that while for most of those meetings there's not a lot that comes up that I necessarily need to be actively making decisions on. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's all this little stuff that comes up randomly in a meeting where it's not even on the schedule. And all of a sudden, someone will say, well, let's just add that to the progress monitoring survey. And <laughs> I have like, to go, no, 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 no. Well, we can't do that. Or, 
hold on. Whoa, we were in a, what, the what now? The what are we giving? I'm sorry, I missed this part of the measure. Let's go back and talk about how this measure is going to be constructed. And so then you end up, so all of these little pieces come up. People don't think matter, but then they do matter for drawing your actual conclusions about things. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I like to go. Yeah. And I think it's a difference between, you know, you tend to work in a field where people are out in schools uh, doing active data collection. And that's not the type of science that I'm always doing. Uh, Uh, And so I have a lot of questionnaire data collection, you know, so like you don't need to be involved in us talking about whether like, oh, did we remail that questionnaire to that parent? Oh, I got an email or the phone call. Did you follow up with them? Like those are the type of conversations I have with my lab coordinator. Okay. It doesn't need all the investigator strength to sit around the table to talk about, you know, how many phone calls were made that week. Um, And so. No, but you do need them in case you're saying, okay, well, we had to call this person four times and we didn't have a rule for calling them four times. Yeah. But don't forget, I think because of our mutual shared training I am the person at the table oh, that yeah. has the expertise in that area. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I can handle that kind of stuff. I am usually the the expert in the room when it comes to thinking about data management and what uh-huh. the implications of da- what you're doing to your data collection, to your data management. That's normally my role on other projects. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah I mean it would be great to outsource that thinking to you Jess thank you but normally I'm the one that is doing that thinking <laughs> that makes a lot of sense okay so then the the thing that we haven't talked about I think is what about students who you directly supervise do you have one-on-one meetings with them on a regular basis so, or are they subsumed into your uh lab meetings of some sort or project meetings yes so this is definitely an area that's changed. And I honestly, I've tinkered with this portion so many times mm. uh, in my, you know, as being a faculty member career. Uh, but what I have landed on is the situation I've done in the last year and a bit. And I like it a lot. Um, so I have this writer's group meeting. Mm-hmm. And that is as long as it needs to be. And so that's all the postdocs and graduate students together. I normally have a, a whole afternoon blocked off for this, what I'm about to describe to you. So, what? oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Right okay, now it's, it's, right now it's Friday afternoons from two to five. I have blocked off for this. I don't block anything else off. Yeah, but listen to what's going to happen. So at two, we meet as a group and we go and we do general lab updates or life updates you know a postdoc just got some new cats and we talk about you know we got we got a video of the cats and Aww. talk about that so we do it serves this is again postdocs and graduate students so it serves as a little bit of a social time a little bit we keep it it's not super social but keep it you know not too long but uh, also, I sometimes talk about lab updates. So like I'm starting to prep for a new grant submission that I'm eyeing towards next summer. And I talk to them a little bit about what I'm thinking about now in preparation for that new grant next summer. So I d- that was last Friday. That's what I talked a little bit about. One Friday, I spent like an hour talking about the tenure process and what a tenure binder looks like and went through the piece that, you know. So sometimes mm-hmm. I do this on a broad mentorship. And why I like having them all together in the room at one time is because I, what I found myself when I only had individual meetings, that that piece of like mentorship, like professional development mentorship was not getting applied to every single person evenly. So I would either uh. say it, had to say it multiple times or not everybody would ask that question and hear the answer. So this is a time when everybody can kind of get the same professional development advice. So like example, one of my graduate students a couple of weeks ago asked like, how do you manage as an introvert to give talks? Like, how do you manage uh. it? And then senior gra- postdocs would talk about some things that they have done, you know, like, so it's some advice, professional development for everybody in the room. Then what happens is they go and they take turns and they do paper updates, right? So each of them is working on multiple papers and we kind of go, they go through the list and they give updates of where the paper is and what they've done in the past week on that paper. Mm -hmm. And um, that serves as an opportunity for them to talk to me if there's any questions about the paper, any concerns about the paper. And uh, for everybody to hear what I have to say about that concern. So hopefully, again, I'm not repeating myself. They've all heard it, even though it's not Mm -hmm. applied to them. They've heard the advice. Mm -hmm. And um, also gives an opportunity for more collaboration. And so I was really finding that before I had this joint meeting with everybody together around the table at the same time, that 
they um, everybody would kind of silo into their own papers. And the papers were all from the same projects in the lab, but that they weren't working with each other across the papers. They would just, you know, first author their paper. And then otherwise, it would just be the collaborators from the grant, you know, and me on the paper. So this mm-hmm. is a way for them to talk like, oh, could I help out with that? Or could I be involved? And to talk cross talk that way so that the, everybody can be collaborating with each other on papers. Cool. So we go around the table and do that. Typically, it takes about 45 minutes to an hour for that portion of the meeting. Then what happens is I have what's called, uh, so technically on my calendar, if you're really to look at my calendar, that's an hour long meeting. And then there's mm-hmm. a two hour block that I call my office hours. Oh, and okay. Anybody who needs more in-depth discussion on a certain paper that was like too in-depth, you're right, we're going to, I have um, f- uh, five people in my lab right now, two postdocs and three graduate students that come mm-hmm. to that meeting. Um, and so uh, you know, if everybody was going to take half an hour to get in depth on a question that they have, it, it wouldn't make it to an hour. So, you know, anything that requires more in-depth discussion or like hammering out something or like my more junior graduate student wants to talk about what classes she should sign up for, that sort of thing. Right. Right. Then they sign up for a block within that two hour time block of within my open office hours. Oh. And so, and then what it allows for before, I used to have an hour on my calendar per mentee. Yes. And first of all, with five or six, I, I actually have six people, but one person's in Australia right now, so she can't, her times are totally flipped. But, um, you know, if six people are working in my lab or, or my mentees, then an hour, it's too much. Yeah. Uh, and so I couldn't do that. Uh, and then also, you know, individual differences. Some students don't want to, or some mentees don't want to meet every week. Um, some do. And so what it allows for is they can opt into an in-depth one-on-one meeting with me. And it's always available to them every week. And so like Mm. one of my lab members I meet with during that hour long block, I usually meet with her for half an hour to an hour every single week because that's Mm -hmm. what she wants. And that's what she needs in her mentorship, Um, like her, her choice. And she likes that. And we touch base and talk about stuff. And then I have one who maybe once every other month wants a one-on-one Mm. Uh, one student. And so they can kind of select into the extra one-on-one mentorship that they want and need. Uh, and then also if I'm like, we need to talk about something that I saw, or let's talk about something. And I'm like, let's meet on Friday. Then they know that we have to meet. So I can also say, let's talk one-on-one. So let me, let me ask you this in terms of just physically, how do you execute this process? Yeah. Which is, how do you have them sign up? Do they email you and say, please slot me in for half an hour on Wednesday? Or I mean, on Friday afternoon? So I use um, a communication. Everybody knows Slack. I, yeah, I know yeah, that was yeah. weird. Uh, I use it, the competitor project, called, a product called Flock, um, <laughs> which when I picked this product uh, like eight years ago, it was just Flock or Slack. Uh, and they were equally, like they were the same. But then yeah. Slack became much more famous and nobody talks about Flock, but I use Flock. Uh, and so, yeah, I have a channel on Flock, <laughs> excuse me, that um, uh, I call it the writer's channel. And so all of the graduate students and postdocs are on that channel. So we And so just every Friday, I'm like normal lab meeting, a normal write like meeting at two. Uh, and then who wants a one-on-one? And then what we do is they say if they want a one-on-one or not, and then they start to select who's going to go first. Uh, and, and so they do it. They do it. Yeah. They figure it out. Cause some, you know, I have one graduate student with a kid that is in school till like four or four. So they need to go first. Yeah. She wants to go first. And so they just sort that out based on their schedules that week. Um, and, and then I just, (laughs) Dr. Hart. Yes. Dr. I've known you a very long time and I am feeling seriously offended that you never shared this brilliance with me before now. (laughs) I am so I am legitimately upset that I don't <laughs> that I haven't I, I don't I just do everything with email. You did tell me that I need to stop doing everything with email. That's true. You did tell me that. I, will, I just don't know will, how. Cho- I everybody that I can talk to about this. I don't even know if we talked about it on the podcast. I, get off of email for the people that you talk with often. Email is way too much. It it's takes much. so much work to write an email because you can't help yourself. You're like, hi, Doctor Logan. You know, like there's all this formality with emails that you don't have with a chat. 
Mm. So get off of email. It will way reduce your email inbox. You already mm. get, remember remember that, to, oh, we'll have to do an episode about trying to navigate your email inbox. Remember when I tried to help you like figure <laughs> out your inbox? Because I've never seen anything like it before. Um, <laughs> and it was too much even for me. And I love this shit. I love organization. <laughs> I love efficiency. Uh, and I couldn't do it. You need, first of all, none of the, your two graduate students should never be emailing you. Get on. Oh my gosh. I wish okay. now, like our university is fully invested in Microsoft Teams. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I don't pay for Flock, but some of the versions of the the the, the um, features that I could get would require me to pay for it. And I kind of mm-hmm. wish I'm considering switching to Microsoft Teams because my university pays for it. So if mm. your university pays for Teams, just accept it into your life and get your graduate students on there at the very least. And okay. they just drop, and you have an individual channel for each student and you for, uh, you know, private, like one-on-one discussions. And then you have a group one where they can like pop in a picture of their animal or a fun paper, a fun paper that they've read you know, check this out or things like organizing this type of stuff. This is amazing. So, I mean, this, this, I mean, this is the perfect time for this to come up because this is lab management, lab structure. How do you manage a lab? And the answer is you use this tool. It's not the only way that you do it, but this is one way that you do it is to use this tool. And it sounds like it's, uh, it really helps to have this physical space online, a virtual physical space in which you're all communicating and that that process is so open, which is really lovely. Yeah, and I now force. So I got into Flock with my good close colleague, um, Dr. Colleen Ganley, and her and Mm -hmm. I picked Flock together because you can work, you know, I have three major chunks of channels. I am shared into her lab's Flock so that when her and I want to talk individually, we talk there, or I'm often a co-author on their papers. And so mm-hmm. I get tacked in and can have conversations with her graduate students on the papers I'm a co-author on mm. through her, her flock channels. And then I have my lab flock channels, uh, which includes one for my lab coordinator. So my lab coordinator never sends me an email. She just flocks me. Uh, and the undergrad, she uses it for the undergrads because it's easier just to do that than getting tech, like doing text messages or emails or whatever. So then she uses Flock to communicate with undergrads. Then I have a chunk of channels that's devoted to the data management, the, sorry, the data repository grant that we have. Mm-hmm, and remember, mm-hmm. none of those people are physically in the same space as me. We have librarians who are, are um, developers and they like... You, I don't really see them in person ever. They've all now used Flock because that's how they talk to us. And we have like a full team Flock or they can talk to me individually. And then I have my psych team Flock members. So this is fascinating. Well, it's and it's OK. It's fascinating for lots of reasons, because I, I one of the things that I've struggled with really is how do you put your arms around what is and isn't your lab? And it seems like this is a nice way to to really do that. Now, let me ask you this question, because I'm always hesitant to adopt a new tool of any sort for fear that it's going to disappear, which mm -hmm. is what's about to happen to me. And box, they're taking our box away now. So now I've gotten everything fully integrated onto box about a year ago, and now it's all going away again. So whatever. But with something like this, how important is the like are the are your files on there as well or are your files elsewhere and you link to them through this tool and so the tool can go away and it doesn't matter. Yeah, so um Flock used to provide a lot more. Like I said, it was a major competitor for Slack. I, it may still be, but I think Slack won the the competition. Mm-hmm. And about 2 or 3 years ago, both Slack and Flock introduced at the same time a paid model. So for like five years of using it, we had the full functionality, I think, as they were working and getting market space or whatever. Sure. So then I uh, got cheap and decided to never pay for it. Um, my colleague, Dr. Ganley, did pay for it. And so she uses the paid version, mm-hmm. um, but I don't. So it limits my file storage and it limits how many messages get stored in general. Oh, cool. So when I first started using Flock, I use it was also a great way to um, help my memory, which is shit. Uh, yes. And so then you could easily search and talk like, when did we talk about that? And if you keep it all in one place. So what I was finding with, <gasps> with Dr. So Ganley is that we would talk to each other over email, text message, and, and in person. And we could never remember where that conversation happened about that project. What are we doing? And so keeping it, if you keep all the communication in one place, it's easy to search for the information you mm. need. 
Mm-hmm. So because I ne- I didn't do the paid model and I don't have that functionally quite as well anymore, I've moved a little bit away from needing that portion of it. But why I like the idea of Teams is that it goes into Microsoft, um, into uh, OneDrive. Thank you. I'm like, what is mm-hmm. it called? OneDrive. And then that... That product, you know, even if the university is not pushing Microsoft products as much, OneDrive with Microsoft is, is going to be available for a long, long time. Mm, and so mm-hmm. it allows for more file storage, which um, I my graduate students send me drafts of papers and stuff through Flock, but it's no longer a long-term storage solution. That's really smart so that you can really keep keep up with it that way. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And, and they can assign you to-do list items. So I, I don't use that function as much, but, you know, like these... They could, you know, if they want you to do something, they could just throw it on your to-do list that you keep in Teams or wherever. Or, you know, huh. uh, so you can, they, they really, the, the, the organizational and like the management function that these things have, like Slack or Flock or Teams is incredible and you should definitely have it. Mm. Pick, All pick right. One. I'm going to take a week off sometime in January and this is what I'm going to learn how to do. This is going to be my old dog new tricks. Yeah. Skill set is going to happen. So anyway, I'm going to circle back around a little bit about how this like three hour block that I have the one hour oh, yeah, giant yeah. group. Um, uh, I thought why I like rather than just having standing meetings for every person in your lab to have one on one. I really like the idea that it can individualize the mentorship experience. So students mm. and you, you know, both sides can kind of select, you know, the type of mentorship that they're getting. And some just like more frequent meetings than others do. Uh, and so by, rather than just having this like static one block or not, or, uh, you know, for a meeting for that person and that's their time, you know, it allows them to select, you know, this week has been heavy on homework. I haven't done a lot of stuff that I need to talk to you about. I don't need a meeting this week. And it's not a huge time suck on my calendar. That's like coming on and off my calendar. It's just this Friday afternoon. And usually it takes me till like four or four thirty, sometimes five, but usually closer to four thirty. I'm meeting with students, well, with mm-hmm. mentees in my lab, mm-hmm. and then I can just do a little bit of email cleanup and be done. Or, you know, so that's really nice. It's just Friday afternoon, it works out well. I like that so much. Okay, so one more thing I wanted to talk about was that one real big shift for me mentally in terms of making sure that my meetings were productive and successful was the idea of making sure you knew who was running the meeting, first of all. Somebody needs to be in charge of making, deciding, now we're going to move on to something else. Mm. And then more specifically, I think, is is like who's... Uh, that's running the meeting might be too specific. But like, so in the meetings that I have with my students, my one-on-one meetings that I have with students, I see it as this is your meeting, What's going on? What can I help you with? How can I help you be successful today? And so it's, I'm there to be responsive. I'm not there to be like, did you finish it? Necessarily. I'm not Mm -hmm. really nagging people. I'm saying, what do you need for me to be successful in the things that you need to get done this week? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that shift in my thinking anyway, it's sort of like, who's who's carrying this? Who's responsible for this? uh, Helped me feel less stress over those meetings Mm. in some ways. Um, And it also ties into this other idea of the first time that I realized that being the person who's deciding to move a paper forward in terms of like writing a paper, the person who's like, okay, this is what we need in order to move the person with the vision and the like pushing it forward. Just, just deciding that it needs to move forward is a job. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was something that I didn't realize until very late in my academic career. (laughs) (laughs) And now, as although you think you don't have much of a lab, it's small, it is your job. Yeah. For the projects that your students are working on, likely. Mm -hmm. And you might start to differentiate then your students working on work that you're a methodologist and you're using the data from the grant that you were the methodologist on. And then likely it's either you or the PI of that project or that person. Mm -hmm. And that differentiates then for like your more methodological papers that you are truly like the PI of, you are the leader of, and that will be your job. Yes. And they're very different. So when when I have, you know, papers that I'm 
that I'm leading and I'm meeting with students who are working on the project, it's like, okay, we really need to get through these next, here are the pieces that I want to make sure we get through. Um, so that that's a little bit different, sort of who's who's driving it. And I think that I bring this up to say that understanding whose job it is to do what is uh, helpful. Like I don't need to carry... I don't need to carry this piece forward because you're carrying this piece forward, if that makes sense. Mm. I don't have to think about it. It's like the open loop philosophy. I don't know if you've read that. There's a book. It's like no. Getting Things Done is a book um, that I read that needs to be updated for the 21st, for the internet age. But um, that's totally aside. Anyway, my point is that he talks a lot about open loops and that if you have in your head like what what are we going to have for dinner tonight? What am I going to, mm. have I had enough water today? Is this student working on this? Is this other student working on this? Oh, also he has this project. And if you're always cycling those, then your ability to do other stuff is diminished because you're distracted and thinking about all the other things that you have to be doing. And so knowing, okay, Sarah is in charge of this paper. She's moving this forward. I don't need to think about it. If she needs something from me, she'll let me know, is really helpful. I wonder, I think this is, you know, one of the places that we are actually quite different on each other from, for, mm, yes. that we are different. Grammatically, I'm having difficulties with that sentence. Um, but I, almost every room, every meeting, I am the loop closer. I am the decider. I am the executive functioner. Interesting. And I think I have a natural tendency to always want to lead or manage. Um, and I am comfortable making decisions. And I am normally the most comfortable with the decision making in the room. And mm. so I am normally the decider. And I'm normally the leader of the meetings. I would say that even with meetings with graduate students. Um, despite my wish that I w it wasn't the case, I just naturally do it without even paying attention. Interesting. So I, that maybe is our difference. So I, it, even in, you know, you're talking about like, what is there to have for, what are we having for dinner? Like my husband does the cooking, but he needs me to tell him what he's cooking. Oh, interesting. So he, at some point in the day, will always touch base with me. What are we having for dinner tonight? And then I'll tell him and he'll make it. And he does all the work, but I do, well, I do all the mental work. Uh, and so I am used to the being that, that is always me. So to me, I don't have to differentiate that role because it's usually always me. So I don't get, that's why when you were asking me kind of before we had this podcast, you know, before we started talking, recording, yeah, yeah. and I was like, I don't really think about this at, at, at all. And I think the reason why I don't think about it is because it's just me. What about for your students and their dissertations? For students who are working on their dissertations, you're still the decider? Usually I am the decider enough to tell them that they need to, that this is their dissertation and they need to think about it. Oh, so. <laughs> you're the decider enough to say you're the decider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if they're really stuck, I can't make that choice yeah if they're really stuck I can help them out and I will I'm comfortable with that but no um usually yeah I yeah ah, well and I think I actually really I tend to do that as well mm -hmm. and so this was a really conscious decision and sort of force of habit of like to go against my natural tendency which is just do it. Just do the thing. Mm. And instead to have to be like, no, no, you're doing the thing. I'm not I'm not worried about this thing because I need you to worry about this thing so I can worry about these other things. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm still something I still work on is um, uh, uh, delegating. I'm pretty good at it, mm. but I'm only like 80 percent good at it. Uh, and so I'm trying to get to, to be much better at, it. again, this thing, I love to be efficient. I like to, you know, think of better ways to do stuff. So I spend a lot <sighs> yeah. of time thinking about this stuff. And whenever I walk away from a meeting, I'm like, oh, I had all of the stuff that, you know, work on that project for me in that meeting. And I'm like, I'll do it. I'm like, I shouldn't have walked away from that meeting saying, I'll do that task. 
Uh, and then yes. I'll kind of circle back around, you know, the yes. next day and be like, um, actually, could you do that for me? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have to correct myself on that so often and be a better in the moment delegator. But I usually realize after it that I'm like, I should not have delegated that to myself. <laughs> that was not a good choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is not going to get done nearly as well. That's a great idea. I like that a lot. Oh, I mean, I think that really the the takeaway from this episode we really we could talk about this for so so long because mm-hmm. i think there's so many individual differences um but i think that the takeaway we have here is really just that we everybody it's a continuous experience of change just like teaching is every time i teach a class i walk away and think about ways i could have done better and i write notes and i try to do it better the next time and i think managing the lab is the same way it has to be reactive it has to be um responsive, maybe not reactive is the right word, but responsive and flexible, Mm -hmm. but also provide some structure. And I do it on a semesterly basis. So this is the time of the semester where I start the conversation with my like writing group. Like, is this meeting still working for all of us? And not like, is 2 p.m. still working for all of us? But like, is the, the structure way we're doing of it. things? Yeah, when it gets close, in January, we'll determine the time. It still works out that usually Friday afternoons is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, with that particular, because it really does require you to have like this block of time that doesn't get eaten up by other things. And it's not often that people are trying to get on my schedule otherwise in Friday afternoon. So that's why it works out quite well, that I can just have this mm. three-hour block tied off. Um, but yeah, like, is this still working for us as a group? Is it still useful? Um, and, uh, you know, do, uh, does everybody still want to come? I do allow postdocs a freedom because I think that they should be moving towards independence that they don't have to come to that group meeting. I think my graduate students all have to come, but the the postdocs, it's, do you want this like lab environment, talking with other people, talking about your papers, you know, getting kind of this, you know, collegial, environment um and they do select into it but they could select out if they want but having these conversations i'm like okay you guys are a couple years into your postdoc or a year into your postdoc you don't have to come to this is it still serving you um and you know these are the conversations is it still you know i'll always have a lab meeting with the undergrads because i think that again that's important for their their development and they're you know paying for research credits to learn about how research happens but uh, you know, is it still working how they're presenting the paper? So we just switched this semester to them doing a short PowerPoint versus they used to just say it out loud. And the mm-hmm. PowerPoint's working really well. We just made that change. Um, we've changed last year to not having that meeting be every week, but every other week. And then mm-hmm. we changed this past semester to having it be only a half an hour. And as it turns out, half an hour is not quite long enough every other week. So now we'll, next semester, we'll probably keep it at 45 minutes. You know, like we're constantly tinkering. I'm constantly tinkering around with these meetings um, and, uh, and thinking about how they're, how they're best working for the people in the lab and for me mm-hmm. at that given semester, um, and what I, what I need for, for my calendar, uh, and what everybody in my lab needs. Interesting. Well, I would say I encourage myself yes. to uh, do that. Be thoughtful about, and protect, you know, if you have two graduate students working with you, you know, should they be talking together, all three of you? I would much prefer that. I think because I, like you said, they, or you alluded to there that they can learn from one another and have the opportunity to do some peer-to-peer mentorship Mm -hmm. with one another. But also, you know, we started meeting together for a little piece of this time because I would get questions from one that I was like, I don't know, I'm going to have to ask the other student. Yeah. Right. What, should I take this class? I I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> let's ask let's ask other students and figure out what they have to say about that. Um, so I think that's that's also really good too. Yeah, so you might consider if you've been giving them two hours a week that now it should be one hour of joint time and then mm-hmm. two half an hour blocks that they could potentially have, you know, for if they need one-on-one time. So it's still mm-hmm. the same amount of time on your calendar. Um, and I do like this idea of office, I call it office hours, like who's coming, like you know, dropping in, who doesn't, who, you know, a brief check-in in the group meeting is maybe all that they need and they don't need the one-on-one, but, mm-hmm. and so it, it makes that flex time. Well, keep innovating. Let us know what works yeah, for you too. Listeners, yeah, let tell us. us Cause we're always interested like in learning a, new ways. I am, love talking about that. I love talking about this more than I love talking about research, to be honest. <laughs> I know. That's why I often I'm like, I wonder if this should have been my career, figuring yeah. out people's systems to make things run better for them. 
Um, I mean, yeah, that I mean, I do believe that that is a big chunk of meta science, too. That's <gasps> maybe that's why we have a podcast about this. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're interested in it. <laughs> we are. We are very interested in how people do science and the systems by which they do science. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fun. Okay. Well, maybe, yeah. Well, let us know what you think about organization. And I, I have a feeling that this topic is not done for our podcast. I think that we're going to have more to talk about. We mm-hmm. barely even scratched the managing collaborations piece of it. So. Yeah. Uh, not even close. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more we could explore with that. In lots so, of different ways. Maybe that will be a, a one coming up in the future. All right. So. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. This is Within and Between, a podcast about the methods and meta science behind developmental science.